For the preaching of God's holy word, please turn with me to the Gospel of John and chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we will read verses 1 through 18, although the sermon text will be 8, 11 through 18. So we're reading chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And this is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And here comes our sermon text. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May the Lord add his blessing and his power to the preaching thereof. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this past week, some 2,000 years ago, can with good justification be called the most important week in the history of the world. 
It began on what is called Palm Sunday when the Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, for your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the crowds welcomed him with the words of Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I'm certain there were many voices among those who blessed him who would later yell, crucify him. On the next day, Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and finds it filled with tradesmen and money changers who were defiling the house of God with their disregard for the glory and awe of God. And with their greed. And he overturns their tables and drives them out, quoting the words of Isaiah, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a thing of thieves. Tuesday then is a day of teaching and of controversy, as it always was when he taught as the chief priests and the Jewish elders once again sought to entrap him with all kinds of silly questions. And Jesus warns the people one last time, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them even with their finger. Then he predicts the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, and he predicts his second coming at the end of time. The Scriptures tell us nothing about Wednesday. And on Thursday, Jesus celebrates the Passover, transforms it into the Lord's Supper, and gives the upper room discourse. Then after singing a psalm, Jesus and the disciples walk to Gethsemane, where our Lord prays in agony in light of what lies before him. I don't think I have to say much about Good Friday, so bad and so good at the same time. Betrayal, arrest, Desertion, false charges, condemnation, beatings, mockery, and finally, crucifixion of the Lord of glory. The most vile and unjust act in the history of the world became the only hope for humankind, for all those who bowed their knees and put their trust in Christ and Christ alone. And now we have to say for many, even many Christians, the week ends here with Good Friday. Friday seems enough for us to say that Jesus died for our sins, but there is more. There is much more than we have to, that we have to consider. The gospel would not be complete with the rest that has to happen still, because after the Lord was placed in the tomb, as you know, His body laid there for three days, just as Noah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And this brings us 
to the first day of the next week, to Sunday, and with it to our text. And in our text we read that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Well, let us pause here for a moment and ask, who is this Mary? Who is this Mary Magdalene? Because Mary was a very popular name in first century Israel. We must therefore make sure that we know which Mary the text is talking about. Well, let us first see of whom the text is not talking about. She is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. She is not Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. She is not Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she is not Mary, the mother of John Mark. But this is Mary of Magdala in Galilee. And no, she was not an unreputable woman. There is no indication whatsoever in the Scriptures that the woman in Luke chapter 7 who washed Jesus' feet and who most likely was a harlot was this Mary Magdalene. This is a common misconception dreamed up by Roman Catholic writers and filmmakers. She is not that woman. The Bible describes our Mary of Magdala consistently not as a harlot, but as a woman of whom Jesus cast out seven demons. That's the only way she's being described. She was a very, very devoted and courageous woman who, among other women, followed Jesus to many places, as we read, for example, in Luke chapter 8, where it tells us that Jesus went preaching through the cities and villages. And it adds, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So she was a very devout woman who was faithfully with Jesus. She even was one of his supporters. And she was still there when even many men had abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ, had deserted him at the foot of the cross. Now on Sunday morning, while it is still dark, we see this Mary Magdalene rushing to the tomb where the Lord Jesus Christ was buried. And from parallel accounts in the other Gospels, we learn that she and the mother of James wanted to anoint his body as a sign of respect, as a sign of affection. And as she arrives at the gravesite, she sees the large stone rolled away from the tomb and Jesus' body gone. And it says that she ran and came to Peter and John. And she cries, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. This woman is desperate at this point. She's out of breath. She's totally, totally caught off guard by this. But we also see a very sad fact here. And the sad fact is this, that none of them had expected the resurrection. None of them had expected the resurrection. How often... Did Jesus tell them 
that he was to die and rise again? How often did he explain to them the spiritual reality of his death and resurrection, and they were caught off guard by the resurrection? And they were weeping, and they were wailing after his death. It seems like nobody understood a thing. So Mary Magdalene runs to Peter and John to tell them about the empty tomb. And then they all run back there to see what was going on, and Peter goes into the tomb. And then it says that John also went in, and he saw and believed. Now, we have to pause here and ask, what did John believe? Did he finally believe that Christ had to die and rise again on the third day? I have to disappoint you. This verse simply refers to John believing what Mary Magdalene had told him. Namely, that the grave was empty. He went in and believed, not that the Lord had risen, but that the grave was empty. Otherwise, the next verse 9 wouldn't make any sense. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So you must be careful when you read the verse or the word believe in the New Testament. He simply believed that the tomb was empty. And only because he was standing there and seeing it with his own eyes. This means that at this point, they still hadn't understood the prophecies referring to Christ's resurrection. And they were increasingly discouraged. And it says that they went back to their homes. But Mary stayed at the tomb, weeping. And looking inside, her eyes caught something most wondrous. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. So, looking into the tomb with tear-filled eyes, she sees two angels in the tomb. And we must not be going too fast here. There's something for us to see. Note the angel's position as it says they were sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Does this not remind you of something? Does this not remind you of the Ark of the Covenant with the two cherubim covering the mercy seat from both sides? In this tomb, the mercy seat has been fulfilled. Where the place of the mercy seat was, was the place from where the very source of mercy and grace rose to life after redeeming his people. The mercy seat was a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here Mary comes in and she sees the angels sitting on both sides of the seat where the source of mercy had just been raised from the dead. The reason for all of God's grace, for all of God's mercy. And then the angels address Mary. Woman, why are you weeping? They ask. And then we see something utterly interesting. Mary had just been addressed by an angel, a most wonderful, radiant, celestial being, but she does show no sign of fear. She does show no sign of awe. 
No sign of hope, no sign of excitement, which is very unusual. When an angel appears, if you look throughout the scriptures, when angels appeared to people, they were falling on their faces, they were scared. Mary was not. She just keeps weeping. She's so deeply saddened and caught up in her utter hopelessness that not even the presence of angels can snap her out of it. And that says something, that shows something. And she tells us why. In answering the angel's question, she tells them the cause of her depression, her sadness. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Beloved, Mary is stricken with soul pain. Not only had her master died, but also his body was gone. All the hope of the last month, all the hope of the last years, the hope of her life escaped from her at once, and she breaks down, just weeping and weeping and weeping. She's utterly sad. She's void of any energy or strength. She's hopeless. And her soul is clothed with darkness. She's feeling like many Christians throughout the history have sometimes been feeling. They started out strong with much hope and zeal and with a glowing first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were so glad to be Christians. They were so glad to have a hope, a hope for eternal life, to be saved from sin and condemnation. And they thought they would fly high for the rest of their lives, right to heaven's gates. They never thought that they would one day find their souls in darkness, dis despair, and hopelessness. Perhaps after being betrayed by somebody they loved and trusted, or after the loss of a child or another loved one, maybe illness or even depression, or maybe they have just grown cold through sin in their lives. It could be so many things that brought them to a state of hopelessness. Everything seemingly started so well, but now Jesus seems gone. He seems absent, and their souls feel dull and anxious and hopeless. And, beloved, this is exactly how Mary Magdalene feels at this empty tomb. But then suddenly, in the midst of this darkness and hopelessness, a voice most unexpected, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? It is the voice of Jesus, but Mary does not recognize him. But how can this be? How can Mary not recognize her beloved Lord, we might ask? How could she not recognize the one who is the hope of her life? Well, there are two possible reasons for this. Firstly, Jesus appeared, as we read at the end of our passage, in his resurrection body, in his resurrected body, and he was only to be recognized at his will. Remember the two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? 
which of course comes later, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus who was speaking to them because we read that their eyes were kept or their eyes were restrained from recognizing him. So he walks with them and he speaks with them and he has fellowship with them and he eats with them, but they don't recognize him. How can they not recognize the Lord Jesus Christ? And then it says, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. My dear friends, there are times in our lives But we do not recognize the Lord Jesus Christ at his own will for sundry reasons. Maybe our souls have become dull and distant. Maybe our lives have become more and more in the ways of the world and less in the ways of our Lord. And so the Lord withdraws. And we cannot see him. And suddenly we ask with the Shunammite woman, of the Song of Solomon. Have you seen my beloved? And we start to search for him. We start to look for him. Where is he? Where is he? My soul is void. My soul is dark. My hope is gone. The world doesn't give me any joy anymore. Have you seen my beloved? And some even fall into depression and anxiety because they miss all hope in their life. Who is Jesus Christ? Because he has withdrawn. But he has not withdrawn in anger. He has withdrawn in love. He has withdrawn so the the troubled soul misses him and starts searching for him and to turn away from the ways of the world and to go and seek their beloved and to when they find him, to embrace him and never let go. Christ can only be seen at his will. It is completely at Christ's will whether his presence is recognized or not. The tragedy of our age is that some of us are so dull they don't even recognize he's gone. They just go on in the ways of the world. And yet he's just hiding behind a little wall. So we go and search for him. And when we find him, we never let go. Have you seen my beloved? Have you seen my beloved? Is our question. He can only be seen at his will, and Mary did not recognize him at first. But there's yet another reason why Mary didn't recognize him. Mary was so fixed, she was so bound to her own false interpretation of reality with its hopelessness that she didn't even consider the possibility of Jesus talking to her because in her mind, he was dead. For her, Jesus was crucified, period. It's over. And now seemingly, somebody had even taken away his body. All hope is gone. It's all over, she thinks. It seems like all reality has suddenly conspired against her. Do you know times like this? When it looks like the whole universe conspires against you. Mary of Magdala is experiencing exactly that, and it is recorded for us in the Bible. She thinks it was wonderful while it lasted, but now he's gone. All hope is gone. It started so well. 
Mary is caught in her false, unbelieving interpretation of reality. She is interpreting reality based on completely false assumptions that the project Jesus had failed because he was killed. It's over. Dear brother, dear sisters, this is the point to which I wanted to lead you all along. Because this is how we sometimes are. The hopelessness, the sadness, the unbelief, the darkness that won't lift, the absence of any felt presence of God, our faith holding on by a thread, as it were. A child of God walking in darkness, seeing no light, to say it in the words of Isaiah 50. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin has written a whole book about this. The child of God walking in darkness and seeing no light. That's in the Bible. A child of God can walk in darkness at times and see no light. It is not severely unusual for this to happen. And Mary is now walking in darkness and seeing no light. How many of you are walking in darkness right now? Young people, do you know how darkness feels? And if you don't, it will come in your life as well. So be prepared. It is a part of the Christian life that at times we walk in darkness as children of God and seeing no light, and it is part of our sanctification. How many of us are challenged with insecurity about their future right now? How many are hopeless? How long, they ask, will this virus continue to restrict our lives? What will the economy do? Will I still have a job? What will the future bring? Or your darkness might be of a completely different nature. It doesn't matter because what I want you to see here is that at a time here in our passage when Christianity should be at an absolute high point because the atonement was completed and the Lord was risen. He was confirmed by his Father. The disciples were at an absolute low point. Absolute low point. Crisis mode. When we celebrate Easter, they were depressed. It was over. And the Lord Jesus Christ allowed it. Beloved, our own perception and interpretation of reality so often, so often is wrong. It is wrong when we do not look with the eyes of faith, but with the eyes of unbelief. When we interpret or misinterpret reality, we lose hope, just like Mary. Her beloved Lord whom she missed so much, had just addressed her, and she thinks it is the gardener talking to her because in her mind it simply cannot be Jesus. She's so caught up in her narrow lens view of the situation that she cannot see the whole reality. And I often think of a story that Corrie ten Boom told frequently. And she would have, at the, at the talk sometimes, she would have embroidery with her. And she would show people the wrong side of the embroidery. You know, at, at least ladies, uh, I, mean, I know how it looks on the downside. If you look at the other side of embroidery, it just looks like a big mess. It looks like it has made no meanings. It's just all confusing. There's threads everywhere. It doesn't make any mess. Do you call this embroidery? 
And then she'd turn it around and it showed a wonderful crown. And she said, Although the threads of my life have often seemed knotted, I know by faith, by faith, that on the other side of the embroidery there's a crown. That's your life. So often we whine and complain. So often we think that the Lord is absent and everything has conspired against us. You know it and I know it. And then we have to walk by faith and know there's another side of the embroidery. There's another side of this mess and there's a crown. It's not only the crown of Jesus, but it's also our crown in Him. And walking with the eyes of faith and looking at this embroidery with the eyes of faith means to trust in God, even in the direst of circumstances, knowing that there's a crown on the other side waiting. Mary here looks at the wrong side of things. She interprets reality with false assumptions that Jesus had died and that his body was stolen. And so everything else was interpreted with those false assumptions. Dr. Lenski writes, The maze in which Mary moves has not yet cleared away. Nothing but the dead body of Jesus is in her mind. From that she cannot break away. The darkness that just won't lift. But then... One single word changes everything. One word that will snap Mary out momentarily out of her truncated view of reality. It is Jesus calling her by her name. Mary. And now in an instant, the floodgates of joy swing wide open in Mary's heart and wonderful streams of joy are flooding her soul. This moment has been called even by unbelievers the greatest recognition seen in all of world literature. Mary. Two words. Mary. Rabuni. Teacher. All it took was for the Lord Jesus to gently calling her by her name, Mary. And immediately John chapter 10 verse 27 comes to mind. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Mary suddenly heard the voice which she thought she would never hear again. And yet there he was, right in front of her, her risen Lord. And he's not only giving her more hope than she could ever had, but he's also commissioning her to share this wonderful hope with the brethren. Brothers and sisters, without the resurrection, there is absolutely no hope. 1 Corinthians 15 again. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're all still in your sins. 
then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. My dear friends, Christianity is not for this life only. If it is for this life only, we are the most to be pitied. Christianity is for eternity. It's for everything, and it covers everything. It is a hope that goes beyond the grave, because it went beyond the grave with Jesus Christ. He rose again. He overcame the grave for us. Dear brother, dear sister, are you a child of God currently walking in darkness? Do you feel like hanging on only by a threat, as it were? If that threat is Jesus Christ, and you do not desire anything more than to be found in him, then have no fear. He is your shepherd who knows your name, and he is your risen Lord, and he will show himself in due time. Let us not seek the living among the dead anymore. He is not dead, but he's risen. Let me close with these words of comfort from Isaiah, the whole passage. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. He is risen. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, our most gracious Heavenly Father, oh, how often are we just like Mary, too blind to see, too preoccupied with our fears, with our worries, with the darkness that we perceive as final. Oh, Lord, help us that we can see you, that we have our eyes fixed upon you, the author and finisher of our faith, that we can live in the power of the resurrection. And that even if, as we, by your providence, have to walk through dark valleys, that our eyes might be fixed beyond this darkness unto the Son of God and Son of Man. O Lord, help us and guide us and refresh us for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.